chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, you know, like if you, you know, you have like a CO2 detector in your home, you know, to make sure that, you know, that there's not enough CO2 rising if it goes off. Well, Kristen Miner's like our Holy Spirit detector, right? If she's crying, then we're, the Lord is moving, right? So we embrace that. We encourage we encourage emotion here. We're not Stoics. We are Christians, right? No. But on, on that note, um, as we come into a new fall season, um, we are launching a new sermon series. This The staff and, 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 and Shay and I, we all got to it together. We prayed through, Lord, where are you taking us? And what, and what we felt called was to dive into this idea or this commandment, if you will, that, that a Christ gives us to love our neighbor. Love our neighbor. Now, I would argue that it is possible to summarize the entirety of what Christianity stands for in these three words. And so between now and the end of November, we're going to be looking at these three words. We're going to look at their roots. We're, we're going to look at how Jesus fulfilled them. And we're going to look at how they challenge us as we live our lives and our families in our church, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, in our nation, and in the world. Now, there are many ways to begin to unpack our, this, this uh, uh, key text of uh, Scripture. But the one that I want to do is I want to focus on one word. And this one word is the cornerstone of Christ's whole message. And that one word is love is love. And if we don't get the right understanding of this word, then our whole endeavor to hear what Christ wants to tell us through this passage is compromised. This word is the key to the lock of this scripture. And so to hear that, to see how our scripture defines this word and shapes us by this word, I want to look at three things, three things that the scripture leads us into. First is the true image of love. What is love really? Second, what's the true response to love? And third, what's love's true challenge to us today? 
So the true image of love, the true response to love, and love's true challenge to us today. So the first thing, the true image of love. Love is a word that we thankfully use a whole lot in our culture. But it seems that while there are so, uh, while, while there may be some broadly agreed to terms, as a whole, we will get a different definition of love with as many people as we talk to. Everyone has their own definition, their own understanding of this concept. God, however, gives us a very clear definition of love. Yes, there are words. So, for example, when Jesus says here in verse uh, 29 and 30, uh, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. The uh, word that, the, that is recorded there is agape. And if you've been on the Christian church at all, uh, you know that uh, this word means something like totally selfish uh, or selfless, totally selfless, totally sacrificial. A love that solely comes from the love giver. It's not rooted in any attribute or quality in its object. It's love that loves the object just because the object of the love is. Well, helpful, but perhaps a bit abstract, certainly not exhaustive. Well, of course, the Bible expounds upon this, right? The Bible expounds upon love in many different places. And perhaps most familiar to, to you, if you've been to any wedding ever, is this. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Absolutely beautiful. But yet even this doesn't capture the fullness of love. So if these two things don't, then what does? The answer is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was and is love incarnate, love in flesh, love walking around. And that means that every word, every action, everything that Jesus did and said and didn't do and didn't say is the very definition of love. Now, this might be a strange concept, but when we think about it, it's actually not so unfamiliar to us. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a basketball player is defined as a person who participates in a court game between two teams of usually five players, each who score by tossing an inflated ball through a race goal. It's clear, right? It's crystal clear what a basketball player is. Now, what if I was the picture of a basketball player? Some of you laugh because you've seen me play basketball, right? But what if I played one-on-one -on -one against Michael Jordan? We're really going to see what, what a basketball player is there, especially Michael Jordan in his prime. Late 80s Michael didn't get any better. And so we see that actually things like love, sure we can throw words at them, but really when we see what true love is, we see Jesus. And we see this most clearly on the cross. 
When Jesus, the perfect God and perfect man who had no sin, has loved us to the point where he voluntarily took on the punishment for our sin that we deserve. Did, did he do this out of obligation, out of guilt? No, he did this out of agape for us. Though it was our sins, past, present, and future, that held him there. But held him there because he chose to be held there. And of course, as 1 John 4 tells us, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation, the offering to appease God's wrath, his father's wrath for our sins. That is how much our Savior loves us sinners. And so, of course, throughout the totality of the sermon series, but especially today, let's all of us, let's have our preconceived definition of love challenged by the life of Christ, challenged by his words, challenged by his actions. Some will be affirmed. Some will be transformed because he is the true image of love. That's the first thing that our scriptures show us. But then that brings us to our second thing. Well, if that's how God's love flows onto us sinners, then what should our true response be? When we are touched by this love, we get a glimpse of its power. We are given hearts that those sinful begin to do the unimaginable. They begin to love like Jesus loves. And so we are seeds. So we see here that we are called to love our neighbor. Now, a, foot, a footnote, we're not going to cover the term neighbor. Um, that will be covered throughout the, uh, in uh, later sermons. Today, we're just focusing on, on love. But we are called to love our neighbor as Jesus has loved us. We are to pour ourselves out in sacrifice for them. Now, unfortunately, we are unable to get her uh, picture up on the screen. But, um, of course, this past week, we remembered 9-11, September 11th. And so many stories of selflessness came out of this. But one that I heard for, for the first time was uh, one uh, out of the Pentagon. Uh, it was a story of Army Lieutenant Colonel Marilyn Wills. And if we had her picture... She could very easily be confused with your third grade teacher. Okay, she is a a, a slightly built woman, um, a, 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 a very feeble voice, if you will. But here she is having a meeting first thing on that on that Tuesday morning when the plane hit the hit the building, and in one moment there was absolute chaos. And, and then in, in that same moment, as some of her colleagues were, were killed, there was fire, there was smoke, there was confusion. They were knee deep in what they thought was water. It was jet fuel. And so they had to escape. And little Lieutenant Colonel Marilyn Wills begins to crawl out. And she begins to grab her colleagues and pull them out with her. And they make this chain where the one holds the ankle in front and there, and she's leading the, them out. And at one point she hears one of her colleagues say, I can't make it. 
And so she stops. And she puts this woman on her back. And says, I'm going to carry you out. And she crawls to the end. This terribly long hallway. Where they get to a window and they bust out of it. And then she waits as she throws all of her colleagues down and helps them down. Making herself last. To where she was so severely burned that she spent months in the hospital recovering. But you see, it's this type of self-sacrificial love is how we're all called to live our lives in all times, in all relationships, in all places. Now, if you're, if, if you're like me, you're, you're questioning, wow, that's a remarkable story. I'm, I don't have that. If I'm honest, I'm an incredibly selfish person. I have an incredibly selfish heart. Maybe I have moments, but I, I don't have that. I can't muster that up in my spirit. And I say, welcome to the club. That's why you're here. Because you see, the way to have this kind of heart is not to choose to have it. It's not to uh, 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 conjure it up inside of your soul. It's, it's not to decide to have it. It's by continually focusing on the love that Jesus Christ has for us sinners. You see, the more that we dive out of ourselves and dive into Christ's love, the more it flows back to us. And then our hearts begin to be transformed. And then in some mysterious way, the more we focus on the love of Christ for us sinners, the, the more we begin to love those sinners around us. It's focusing on Christ's love. That's our fuel. That's the well that we pull from, that we draw from, that is never ending. And it's the external power of the Holy Spirit poured into us that gives us hearts. God's love flows through us. And that is how we truly respond to true love. So Christ is the image of love. That's the true response to love is to love others as Christ has loved us. And then that brings us to point three. Love's true challenge for us to, today. You see, Jesus gives us a glimpse of, of uh, true love that challenges many of our common understandings. But I want to focus on one that really pushes against my heart. I think it pushes against our culture as a whole. And it's this. It's absolute blasphemy in our culture. True love, when it's right, says no. True love says no. We live in, in a culture in which you love somebody only if you affirm them in all of their choices. To love someone means to be supportive, understanding, non-judgmental. Let me be your biggest cheerleader and let me help you achieve your dreams as you define them. And praise God, much of this is shaped by Christian theology. Jesus does love everyone unconditionally. That's absolutely true. But, but again, as we look at who Jesus is, not who we want him to be, we see how Jesus loves people. We find that it's just not that simple, is it? And what's fascinating is the scripture right above ours 
Mark 12, 18 through, uh, through uh, 27. In this, Jesus is having a debate with the Sadducees. Now, and, and this debate is over whether or not the resurrection of the dead will actually happen. Now, this just wasn't a theological discussion. This just wasn't sort of, you know, you know, table talk or interesting conversation. It cut to the very heart of how the Sadducees defined themselves. They argued it was their stance. It was their very definition that the, that the resurrection would not happen. It was their self-defining Factor, their theology was their identity. So this just wasn't an idea that was on the table. This is their very raison d'etre. This is their very reason to be. And Jesus engages with them. But listen to how he ends it. Can you imagine saying this in our world? This is how, how Jesus ends it. Verse, verse 27, after he says that there will be a resurrection, he says, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are quite wrong. You are quite wrong. Can you imagine how that message would be received? It was re received in somewhat the same way it would be now, but I think even more so. Quite wrong. That's so arrogant. That's so rude. That's so condescending. Yes, Jesus is the one who loves everyone just as they are. But the same one challenges the very thing that they base their identity on. Why does he do that? To be right? To prove a point? No. Because he loves them. He loves them too much to allow them to continue to live under their disbelief. To affirm them in their heresy would be to condemn them to eternal death. Jesus would rather jeopardize the relationship, have them hate him, than have them go on and never hear the hard truth. This day, we are going to celebrate the ministry of uh, Dan Cheslikowski here at this church. Dan has been on the vestry for six years, um, which is a biblical amount of time. Um, no one should ever have to, to uh, do that. Um, Jesus's ministry was only three, so you can imagine. Uh, but one of the great blessings of having Dan not just as a vestry member, but as a friend, is that Dan loves me enough to tell me I'm wrong. There are numerous examples. I will not go into all of them. But the absolute icebergs that Dan's advice and the whole vestry, but, but certainly Dan, have avoided because of Dan telling me no, challenging me, questioning my, my motivations, questioning certain things about why I'm doing it, has saved me a tremendous and save you even more heartache. Now, I say that because one of the great blessings of this was when these can be tough, these, these can be tense times, right? When somebody says, no, I don't agree with that. I, I think you're off on that. I think you haven't thought, of, thought this all the way through. The overwhelming feeling that I received at those times was not one of condemnation, but one of incredible love. Dan would love me so much to tell me no. 
real love of others, as we love our neighbors, will challenge us to tell them no. When they're living outside of God's boundaries for their lives. This includes sharing the good news of God's forgiving love with them. And I would argue that, yes, there's a good way to do this and a bad way to, to uh, do this. You can be condescending. You can be arrogant. You can be, be rude. But I think that anyone that's been touched by the grace of God knows that, they're, that we are the, we're the biggest problem in the world, right? What's the biggest problem in the world? Hamilton Smith is. What's the biggest problem in the world? Each one of us individually are. Just as Paul said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I, Paul says, am the foremost. And when Christ has touched your heart in that way, of course, you're going to approach people with grace and love and patience and humility. But yet, if we're honest, I need to look past my own life. My desire to not tell people no is not out of love of them, out of love of me. It's selfish. I don't want them to be angry at me. I don't want them to uh, think, think that I'm trying to hurt them. I, I value their friendship. I don't want to do anything that might challenge that. But yet the love of Jesus was bigger than his desire to be loved by us. To be liked by us is probably a more accurate term. He was so selfless that his hard words were spoken so that we might be woken up. That is the challenge that true love has for us today. So this is just the beginning. We're going to spend weeks and months diving into to this and how uh, this one guiding pr principle summarizes Christ's love for us as he died for us, the worst neighbors ever. And then how we can go out and die for others. So, loving your neighbor is probably a lot more than we thought it ever could be. It's seeing that Jesus Christ is the true definition of love, that he died for us sinners. So we can have the joy of going out and loving the world as he loves us. And this is good news for us sinners indeed. Amen.